Um, well, as Seth said, I'm, uh, I'm Braxton. Um, I, we, my wife and I, Annalise, have been attending here for a little over a year, and I'm actually going to start my, just so I don't, because if I talk for, you know, any length of time, I'll start going, and then I won't stop, and Seth will have to yank me off. Um, so we find ourselves, I, I was really excited when I got the gospel reading for this week, because this is one of my favorite parables that Jesus tells. You know, on the one hand, you have this, um, you know, this Pharisee, this, a lot of the time in kind of modern Western Christianity, we see these people as very, like, stodgy religious types, but the reality is this guy is, he's a church boy. That, that's who he is. He would have been seen as somebody very righteous and very worthy in his time, contrasted with this, um, with this tax collector who, um, in order to be a tax collector in the ancient Roman Empire, you essentially had to sell out your people. You had to, um, the, the Jewish people would have viewed this as a rejection of his Jewish identity and his, of his identity as an Israelite. Um, and Jesus tells this story, and he says the weirdest thing at the end, which is that this, this sinner, this tax collector that's, you know, most people would have viewed as having rejected God is actually the one that walks away justified. And, you know, I think this really speaks good news into our lives today. Because we live in a world where it's a very important thing for us, and for me personally, for a lot of people, to be perceived as a good person. Right? It's really important that, you know, someone looks at me and they go, wow, man, he's a good guy. You know, she's a, she's a good woman. He does all the right things. He says all the right things. He associates with the right people, right? And I just want to proclaim the good news into this tonight that we proclaim the good news that in the midst of our appearance-based and works-based arms race, that we are free from the need to keep up the appearance of good behavior. Um, I don't know about you, but when I've... There, there's a very kind of small set of people that when I've encountered them, I've been kind of overwhelmed by their goodness that naturally flows from God. Um, I remember when I was in college, I was really wrestling kind of with this notion of needing to appear good in order to enjoy fellowship with the church that I was attending at a time, at the time, and uh, really struggling with that and struggling with what it meant to look like a good person so that I would be accepted into fellowship. And I just remember coming home one night from a church function, and I was just horribly upset and depressed because I felt like, you know, I just, I didn't fit in because I wasn't this wonderful paragon of, of moral excellence. And, um, you know, and I'm still not, so let's not be under any illusions here. Um, but I remember coming home, and I got on Facebook, and, you know, as one does, I kind of clicked through the requisite internet things, and I wound up on a YouTube video of this um, white-haired sweater-wearing children's television host named Mr. Rogers, named Fred Rogers. Um, you know, I, I grew up with Mr. Rogers, and it, in my opinion, I don't think that there's anybody that's done as much for the kingdom of God as, as Mr. Rogers has um, in the last 40 years. Um, but I just remember sitting there, and he was, he was talking about, um, about love and acceptance and about the idea that Everybody is worthy of, of love and of acceptance. And I just remember thinking, 
you know, you, you read, and I, I spent some time researching because I was like, this guy can't be for real in my cynical kind of college senior mind, right? And so I go and I read these interviews and watch these interviews and read these profiles of Mr. Rogers, and it comes out that, no, he, the person you saw on screen was Mr. Rogers. That was who he was. And the reality is when he launched his television show, all these television experts looked at him and said, that'll never work. That shows garbage. It's too slow. It won't hold anyone's attention. It won't. You know, it's it's a poorly done television. It's cheap. It's terrible. You know, you can't really be the person that you say you are. And the reality is, he shut all that out and would talk just to the person that was sitting right in front of him on the television screen, even though he wasn't with them. Um, he was freed from this need to be, to appear to be a good person or appear to put out a good product. He just did what he felt God calling him to do. And so I, I do want to be careful because this is a really hard line to walk between, for a lot of people, and certainly for myself, the, the appearance of being good and actually being good is a really tough line to walk. So um, hopefully I, in, in the grace of God, I will walk that fairly tonight. Um, but that's why we have Jesus, right? Because in these gray areas where it's uncertain of whether or not we're doing things for appearance's sake or whether we're doing them because they're actually the right thing to do and we just don't, we want to do the right thing. Um, there's grace there, whether I stray one side or the other. So that's part of the good news tonight. So as I said, we, we live in this age of self-image, right, where, and, and this occurs both inside and outside the church. Uh, outside the church, we have this kind of woke you know, cancel culture where you know, if somebody says one thing or uh, does one thing or associates with someone that we don't like, we shove them out of our lives, we pull them down off of their podium. Um, and this occurs across all social spectra, across all political spectra, across even the religious spectrum. Um, but this occurs within the church as well. Um, you know, in the church, we have this, fortunately, not in this congregation, but uh, or at least not in my experience, um, but our American and our Western church is engaged in this spiritual arms race based on who can give more, who can serve more, and who can go more, um, which was something I definitely felt growing up. And the reality is this all goes back to what, what do we love? Do we love God? Do we love doing the right thing? Or do we love our own self-image? And so I want to present tonight kind of these, this idea of love in three vignettes. Because there are three actors in this story, even though there have only been two mentioned. Um, we have the Pharisee. Obviously, sorry, I need to be able to see my timer. Um, we have the Pharisee and this kind of very, you know, religious person. Um, but we have this tax collector who is, um, again, would have been seen as kind of this very sinful, this not good person to be associated with. And, of course, we have the, what Rich Mullins would call the craziest weirdo in the Bible of all, God Almighty himself. Um, I love Rich Mullins, which this will come out again later in this sermon, I promise you. Um, so let's start with the Pharisee, right? Um, Let's notice kind of how this guy approaches God. I, I really actually strongly identify with this guy because the reality is, like I said earlier, he's a church boy. 
right? He's grown up in, in the Judaistic religion. He probably went to synagogue every Sunday, um, you know, gives to the poor, does all the stuff that he's supposed to do, right? He's just been a good person all of his life. And um, it's really interesting how it's almost as if he's lived his entire life and he's staking this entire prayer of this communion experience on how much he's impressed God, right? He begins his prayer with this, I thank, you know, Lord, I thank you that I am not. And then he proceeds to start listing stuff that he's glad he's not. I'm glad I'm not an adulterer. I'm glad I'm not some kind of thief. I'm glad I'm not this tax collector. And then he starts listing all the great things he's done. I fast twice a week. I give, you know, I give the tithe that I'm required to give, um, which, you know, side note, 10% was the minimum you were supposed to give. So, you know, maybe some work could have been done there. But, um, you know, he's clearly cultivated this image of himself of this really, I, he thinks he's this really good person. And by virtue of the fact that he's impressed God, he feels entitled to communion with God. Um, and you know, this is something that Jesus really criticized the Pharisees for a lot. Um, one of the things that he was uh, most critical of was a lot of the time in this time period when the Pharisees would go to give money to a poor person, they would have like a little trumpet or a bell or something that they would ring or blow, and then everybody would turn around and watch as they gave money to the poor people. They were very wrapped up in this kind of spiritual arms race, similar to how we are today. We want, they wanted to be perceived as good people, not only by other Jews, but by God Almighty himself. Um, and then on the other hand, we have this, this tax collector. And we don't have much information about him here. Um, Jesus doesn't give us a lot of context, but from the cultural context, we can probably figure out some things about him. As I said earlier, um, in order to be a tax collector in first century Rome you essentially had to sell out your identity. You, went, you, know, you worked for Caesar. Um, you, know, you were no longer a Jew, right? You were this kind of terrible person that was engaged in this kind of um, not super uh, good line of work because the reality is the way tax collectors in ancient Rome were paid is you collected the tax for Caesar and then you could charge a little bit extra on top for your services, um, and that's how you got paid, is you essentially stole money from people. Um, so this guy is probably someone who values wealth because it was a really good paying job. Probably somebody that values power because as a tax collector, you had a lot of power. If someone didn't pay you, you could send in the Roman military to come take their stuff and uh, give it to the state or give it to yourself. And so at least at some point, maybe even right before he comes in to this space to encounter God, he's loves wealth. He probably loves power. He probably loves his appearance too, although maybe in a different way. But the reality is he approaches this in an entirely different way. All he's able to say, and it, it, scripture, the scripture says he can't even lift his eyes to heaven, but he just stands there pounding in his chest and saying, God be merciful to me because I'm a sinner. And the reality is, out of these two guys, he's the one that gets it. He understands that aside from the mercy and love of God, that we can't have, he can't have communion with God. That the only thing that enables him in his brokenness, in his sin, um, in his you know, life of wealth and power is the mercy of God. And 
you know, one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of Brennan Manning, wrote the Ragamuffin Gospel, which has been a hugely influential work on my life. And he presents this idea of, you know, the Ragamuffin is a, sa- you know, a saved sinner that loves God and is okay with not having it all together. And, and one of the things he says in the book is that a Ragamuffin knows he's just a beggar at the door of God's mercy. And that's how this guy sees himself. Um, and then, of course, we also have God here. Um, Jesus says that God is, sees this tax collector, this sinner, this terrible person, as someone who is justified walking away from this encounter and not this kind of good church boy Pharisee. Um, because those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Because the reality is God is not impressed with the good works of the Pharisee. He's not. Because the Pharisee thinks, and I, I have done this myself, and I'm sure all of us in here have done this, where you, know, you behave a certain way and you do a certain set of things and you believe a certain set of things and, in hopes that that will somehow impress God and obligate God to do something for you. Um, as if God could ever be impressed by anything that we do or obligated to do anything for any one of us. Um, But the reality is, God still loves both of these guys, but only one of them is justified. Um, You know, I was really struck by this. Annalise and I, uh, not yesterday, but last weekend, went to go see one of her favorite bands uh, up in Missouri. It's a Christian band. I won't name the band, um, because I'm going to say some critical things. Uh, (laughs) Um... And, you know, as, as Christian bands do, if you've been to a Christian concert, right, you know, one of the big things they like to do is bring out one of those Sponsor the Children programs. Uh, and I'm not, again, not going to name the program um, for reasons. Um, and so, you know, they, the, their opening band comes out and they, um, you know, they play their set and they leave and the tour pastor comes out and he starts, you know, amping up the, you know, if you give this much a month, you can change a child's life and all that, which is, you know, all well and good. I don't have any problem with sponsoring children, so please don't hear me saying that tonight at all. Um, at all. Uh, but um, you know, he comes out and he goes, you know, usually we have these cards with the kid's picture on them, and we hand them out, and you take it home and fill it out. But tonight we're going to do something different. This is, we're doing this. This is new. And what we're going to do is we're going to set up, we're going to bring you down to the front of the stage, we're going to set up photo booths, and you're going to have your picture taken in front of everybody and then we're going to take that picture and send it to a school, and a child is going to choose your picture. And so they do that. They bring out probably like five or six of these photo booths, and people are lining up to go get their picture taken. And I just remember sitting there in this auditorium and being absolutely and totally disgusted um, because I already knew I was going to preach on this passage, and I remember just sitting there and going, what better illustration of the appearance-based arms race than this, right? I'm going to go up in front of a crowd of concert goers, and I'm going to get my picture taken. And the reality is probably nobody at that, um, at that child sponsorship program thought, of, you know, oh, if we can just manipulate people into coming down front, we'll get more money. And nobody coming down front probably thought of this in this way. One of the things that I do, though, is I, my day job is uh, that I'm an economist. I'm in the fourth year of my pursuing my PhD in economics, and one of the things that I study is actually self-image. 
Um, I study on a, in a scientific way uh, the way that we perceive ourselves and the way that uh, people make altruistic decisions. And one of the things that we know from lab studies and whatnot over the years is that people are always more altruistic when they're being observed. Um, and I just remember sitting there going, man, if I were to design an experiment around charitable giving, this is literally what I would do in a lab, is I would put these people in front of other people and say, now give money. And they would probably give more of it. Um, and so, you know, I just remember sitting there and being so disturbed that, you know, we're seeing this, in a Christian concert, this idea of this spiritual-based arms race. And the reality is, I was thinking about this as I was, as I was practicing this sermon yesterday, and I realized, actually, in this scenario, the person that's kind of the Pharisee here, that's judging themselves to be better than everybody else, is actually me. Um, because I'm sitting there going, Mr. Economist Man, yes, I understand this. I know more about this than probably anybody else in this auditorium, which is probably true. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, there might have been other people there. But I just remember sitting there and, and thinking about this yesterday and going, man, you know what? The reality is, right, that I was sitting there and looking at these people and going, oh, man, look at me and my, my bad self. I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to be a good person. I'm not going to go down front and be one of those people that's obsessed with image and appearance. And the reality is, is I was. Just not in the same way that some of those other people may have been or may not have been. Because my own internal view of myself is I'm a good person. I'm not going to be manipulated by the, the spotlights and the marketing and all the wonderful things going on here. And this is something I struggle with. Spiritual pride is something that I struggle with. Intellectual pride is something that I struggle with. Um, and a lot of academia uh, struggle with. But what is God saying in this passage? Right? Because this is kind of a bad news scenario here, right? Is that, you know, we all in a lot of ways think that we're good people. I certainly think I'm a good person. Um, I spent so much of my time growing up trying to figure out how to impress God and how to make God do things for me by virtue of the fact that I was a good person. And the reality is, if there's any bad news in this passage tonight, which I love this passage because even the bad news is good news in this passage, um, the bad news is that God is not impressed by you. He's not impressed by anything that you do. He's not. Because he's perfect, and we're not. But I want, you to, I want us to engage in a mental exercise here. I want you to imagine yourself as kind of a pile of odds and ends, like might get picked up at a flea market or something. Um, you know, and there's a lot of good stuff in this kind of basket of odds and ends that make you up. Uh, and there's some junk in there too, right? Because, you know, that's how flea markets work, right? You get some good stuff and you get some garbage thrown in with it. Um, no hate on flea markets, just, you know, truth. I speak the truth. Um, you know, and, and imagine God is kind of this, this artistic, this artist that comes in. He's looking for stuff to make a wonderful piece out of, of, of art out of. And he comes and he picks up your basket of odds and ends. And you would think being kind of the world-class and renowned artist that he is, that he would throw out all the garbage and only use the good stuff to, to make a beautiful work of art out of your life. 
But the reality is that's not the way God works. He doesn't just take the good stuff. He takes the junk. He cleans it up. He makes beautiful things out of it. Um, I, I'm borrowing this a little bit, expounding on some themes from um, a segment of a sermon I watched that uh, Rich Mullins was known for preaching kind of in between his songs at his concerts, and this is one of the ones he talks about. Um, and one of the things that he would talk about in these sermons is, you know, Picasso used to say that good taste is the enemy of great art, right? Because, um, you know, if art has anything to do, it's with being human, and good taste is all about being refined and, and wonderful. And, um, you know, he would always say, you know, growing up, people would tell me, you know, cheer up, man. God loves you. And he'd go, you know, big deal. That doesn't make me special. God loves everybody. That doesn't prove anything. That just proves God doesn't have any taste. And the good news is, I don't think he does. Thank God. Because he takes all of this junk and all of this garbage in our lives, and he makes the most beautiful art in the world out of it. So even this Pharisee that's standing there, you know, claiming that, ah, you know, I am so good, God, you owe me something. God can take the stuff, the junk out of his life, even, and make a beautiful artwork out of it. And the tax collector that's probably, you know, cheated his countrymen, has walked away from his identity as a, as a Jew. God can take the junk out of that guy's life and make the most beautiful art in the world out of it. Because the good news here is that on any given day, we are free to humble ourselves before both God and others. We are free from the need to engage in the appearance-based arms race. We are free to stop trying to simply appear good. We're free to stop trying to think about ourselves. We're free to think of ourselves less and think of God and others more. Uh, One of the things that there's a comic strip that I follow on Facebook called Coffee with Jesus, which I encourage you to follow. I don't agree with everything in it, but I, I find it refreshes me when I, on the days I do get to read it. And there's a strip I read recently where this character comes to Jesus and is saying, you know, I, I'm just such a terrible person. The, the, you know, the Christian person that you know, my, my coworkers see is not very Christian at all. And the Jesus character says to her, um, you know, it's not scripture, so take it with a grain of salt. But says to her, you know, well, on any given day, there's a sinner and a saint at war within you. And on good days, the saint prevails. And then on the bad days, the good news is I love sinners. Um, because the reality is when we're next to Jesus, being exalted doesn't matter in the long run. On my better days, my, my prayer is always simply that I would get to be with God. Uh, on my better days of which there are few, um, right? But when you're next to perfection, when you're with the source of all goodness in the universe who loves you no matter what you have done or who you are, there's no need for good appearances. There's no need for um, exalting. How are you going to exalt yourself next to God? You don't need to, because God already loves you, just as you are. Um, So, how do we respond to this good news? 
that we are free from the need to appear to be good people. And that we are free from to, we are free to stop trying to earn God's love and free to start living God's love. So I'm going to borrow from Seth's weekly thing here. Um, I just want to invite you, when we come into the prayers of the people, um, to just pray this into your life with something that goes like this. God, help me to live your love in my work, my school, um, this week, this month, this year. Um, because the reality is, as we sit here in this appearance-based arms race, the one person you don't have to impress is God Almighty. Because he's already knocked out about you.